Taking a trauma-informed approach means understanding how these things manifest in your body specifically and starting there instead of just starting from top down, you go from bottom up as well. You, you attack it from both sides. This is episode number 546 with Chris Ratcliffe, Healing from Emotional Wounds and Trauma. Such an important conversation. I can't wait to dive in with you. We all have emotional wounds, whether we know it or not. And Chris is going to help us uncover what they are, how to heal them, his own story. This is good. You don't want to miss this. I'm Sandy Weiner. Welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And if you want support on your journey to lasting love, I wrote a book. It's called Becoming a Woman of Value. How to Thrive in Life and Love. And it's filled with 30 chapters. Uh, each one contains a tip to help you step more fully into your core value, into your worth, and be able to show up, speak up, and stand up to have the success you are searching for in life and love. And you can find it on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. And by the time this airs, my second book will be out. Look for it. It's called Choice Points in Dating. And this is a book about all the choices that we have to make in dating. We often turn the wrong way. We don't know how to course correct. And so this book will take you through every step of the way. This week's tip from the book, Becoming a Woman of Value, is step number 17, let go of toxic people. Easier said than done, but if you recognize that you have toxic people in your life, whether you're dating them or you have them in your friend group or you're working with toxic people, if you can let them go, just start to make your way out of that relationship because it holds you back. And if you can't fully let them go, then set boundaries around how you want to interact with that person because what you focus on grows, who you hang out with is very much what influences who you are and who you become. Before I bring Chris on, I just want to invite you to join my Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date, and it's for women over 40 who are looking for positive support. It is so rare to find a place where you will actually be positively supported in a Facebook group for singles. And this group really has so very strict guidelines so that you will grow on your journey to love, that you will be guided, that you will watch your language and listen and your thoughts to how you speak about dating, how you speak about relationships, so that you can really grow on your journey to lasting love. So join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Chris Ratcliffe is a personal development writer, and he's an anxious attachment style coach. He has an ability to paint with words and has touched the lives of millions of people around the world. In his book, It's Good to See Me Again, Ratcliffe shares stories that cut straight to the heart. He details his own heartfelt and harrowing experiences to help other people feel happier, healthier, and lead more fulfilling lives. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks, Sandy. I'm grateful to be here. Let's start with what does it mean to take a trauma-informed approach to emotional healing? Great question. So when it comes to something like understanding who you are, understanding your patterns, many of us don't even realize that we've been through trauma. And yet trauma is a universal experience. While for some that can be big T trauma, like what I detail in my book, It's Good to See Me Again, things like 
having an alcoholic mother, my parents divorcing when I was two, experiencing sexual abuse, being cheated on. All of these are forms of trauma, okay? Now that's big T trauma. There's also little t trauma. Many of us go through accumulated experiences of invalidation, abuse in small forms, neglect in small forms. Things like, for instance, as a child being told, you can't come out of your room until you're finished crying. You can't get up from the table until you finish your meal. These are all things that many of us have experienced and yet we don't often realize they're impacting us now. The past has a chokehold on us and won't let us go. So taking a trauma-informed approach means simply understanding, it's a lens through which we can understand what's happening in our lives now. Now, for many of the clients that I work with as an anxious attachment style coach, that includes unpacking, where does this come from? What is the origin for me? So that they can better validate themselves. It also means identifying where their nervous system dysregulation began. And that's ultimately why taking a trauma-informed approach is so vastly important and such a game changer for folks. Healing is 80% somatic and physiological and only 20% cognitive. And yet many people stop at the cognitive stuff, at the reframing techniques and gratitude and thinking positively and trying to change their mindset. And it's not to say that that's not beneficial or helpful because of course it is. But you cannot think your way out of your feelings and you cannot think your way out of nervous system dysregulation. The body responds the way that it responds. And when it's triggered, when you uh, experience something that reminds you of a trauma that you've experienced previously, whether little T or big T, you will have a response and you cannot control that response. So you also have to learn to identify, where does this manifest in my body for me? How do I sit with this? How do I learn to cope with this and self-soothe? How do I learn to, as you mentioned in the intro, identify the people in my life who are safe for me, who respect and understand and support and encourage me. The people around us have such a massive impact on our nervous system, and yet we just sort of uh, pick them. We don't think intentionally about who we want around us and the impact that they have on us. Jim Ron is famous for talking about how the five people that you're closest with have have the biggest impact on you and you become the average of those people. So that's just one example. But taking a trauma-informed approach means understanding how these things manifest in your body specifically and starting there instead of just starting from top down, you go from bottom up as well. You, you attack it from both sides. This is all such important information. I, I love your distinction between big T and little t trauma. Until I started doing this work, I didn't understand little t trauma. I understood big t trauma. And I think many of us don't understand that moving a lot is a, is a little t trauma. Um, mm -hmm. Having a parent with mental illness or alcoholism, like you mentioned, is a little t trauma. And we don't realize yeah. how these things impact us, how they impact our choices in relationship, how they impact our nervous system our attachment style, all of these things are so impacted by these traumas that we experience early on. And so yeah. many people are unaware or unwilling to really dive deeper because there's a lot of fear. So 
talk about that for a minute because I know a lot of people just they kind of block the I don't want to look I don't want to see what what why do people do that and how do you get through to people who are who are so afraid to look within first I want to validate that it's natural that you don't want to look at or experience or rather re-experience or bring up again things that hurt you deeply things like being cheated on or having your father for all intents and purposes, abandon you when you're young or have a mother that raised you who didn't nurture you or wasn't there emotionally for you or substance abuse like we've been talking about. It takes so many different forms. But let's first validate the fact that it's really hard to look at those things because many of us learned growing up and in adult relationships as well that we shouldn't look at those things. We can't look at those things or feel those things. And that's why we develop these adaptive approaches to relationships. They're not necessarily good or bad, but they might be healthy or unhealthy, depending on how you look at it. At the end of the day, it's a protective mechanism, but it can also be self-sabotaging. Self-sabotage is just another form of self-protection. Okay. You're trying to survive. Your body has a survival response and you think that you cannot handle it. So you block it out, you push it away, you numb it, you avoid it, you bury it, you deny it, you keep your schedule packed to the brim so that you don't have to sit with yourself. There's so many different ways of coping and you know it really takes a lot of uh, bravery, a lot of vulnerability to sit and accept how we are the common denominator in all of our experiences and we oftentimes perpetuate the dysfunction in our lives by seeking out what feels familiar energetically and emotionally and recreating dynamics from the past, recreating trauma bonds. So let's first just say it's okay. It is absolutely okay that you have done that. But you also have to take accountability again for the ways in which you now as a very powerful adult, someone who is not a powerless child, someone who is not in potentially an abusive relationship anymore, Take accountability for the choices that you have, whether that's how you take care of yourself and this container, your mind, your body, your spirit, your emotional health, your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health. All of it is super important and you have to take accountability for that. But of course you wouldn't want to look at it, but it is only when you do, when you sit either with yourself, with a loved one or someone in your support system or with a professional like a coach or a therapist that you can actually break through these patterns and grow because you have to confront what is holding you back. You can't allow the things that hurt you most deeply to define you. They are not who you are. You existed prior to their unfolding in your life. And so it's so important that you take a second, you realize I am capable I can do this. It's going to hurt, but so does staying stuck where I am. And I can't do that anymore. I have found that in my work with people with an anxious attachment style, it is oftentimes the folks who are tired of their own BS that make the most progress. They have that fuel, that desire to change, not to fix themselves because you don't require fixing. You're not broken. You might have maladaptive approaches to relationships and you might have a lot of coping mechanisms that you put around yourself in order to survive, 
But if you learned them, you can unlearn them. You absolutely can. You did not emerge from the womb with a dysregulated nervous system and a maladaptive approach to relationships. What this means is that you picked it up along the way. It was modeled for you and you picked it up from other people. And also the dysregulation that you experienced in your body, you created stories around that and told yourself, well, I probably was treated that way because I deserved it. My dad left because I cried that one time or I had a temper tantrum. We take responsibility for these things. We personalize these things because it gives us a sense of control. And then if we have the control, then that means that we can solve it. But there is nothing to be solved. All that needs to be solved is the fact that you have been invalidated. You've been an unstable, inconsistent, maybe even abusive or toxic relationships. That is okay. It is so much more normal than you realize. If you push into this, if you get vulnerable and talk about this with the people that are safe with you, you will realize this, but you have to be willing to confront the darkness if you ever want to experience the light. A lot of truth there. <laughs> you know, I love your compassionate approach and just validating that it is hard, but it is necessary for the life you want to live. And I think, you know, I know that when I work with a client and they've had a very difficult past and they've repeated patterns, when they realize that they can change those patterns and they can actually have healthy relationships with themselves first and then with others, it is so life-changing. So let's yeah. let's talk a little bit about the nervous system regulation. This is such an important thing. And I, I know like it's something we need to teach our children. It's something that we all need to learn how to do. So if you can define it and also just tell us why it's so important and how we can practice it. Your nervous system is wired to keep you safe. And when you're young and you're developing and you're really feeling into the world and learning what this is all about, of course, you're externally focused and you're just a sponge. You're picking up everything from the environment around you, whether that's how to eat or uh, how to identify your emotions or how to even feel things, what it's like to be in a relationship with somebody else, what that even means. So this starts with our caregivers. And, you know, for many of us, that includes our parents. Those are our parents, although, of course, not for everyone. And that's OK, too. So this starts very young when we're very impressionable. And you can imagine if you experience instability or inconsistency in that kind of environment, at, especially at such a young and impressionable age, that you then have an imprint for the world that you carry with you. The younger you experience trauma, the more it impacts you. There is a test called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Test that hits at this. The younger that you are, the more trauma you experience, the more likely it is that you will have maladaptive approaches to relationships, which just means unhealthy ways of coping in life, that your relationships will continue to be unstable. And a lot of that goes back to the fact that you never learned how to have a stable relationship or what it looked like. So nervous system dysregulation for many of us starts very early. Dysregulation means nothing more than overreactivity to the environment. Many of us learn this as a survival mechanism for that instability and inconsistency. 
we learned that one, because the environment around us is not stable, we have to stabilize it for ourselves. So what we'll do is we'll change who we are. Many people that I work with are also empaths. Many people on the insecure side of the attachment spectrum in general are empaths. They have to learn to feel into the room. What's going on here? How do I manage the emotions of everyone around me so that I can be calm? What this does is it teaches a young child, I can't feel my feelings. I have to feel everybody else's in order to feel safe. That's where that empathy comes from. It's not that it's not a skill, but it is a protective mechanism. It also keeps you from not experiencing, again, like we were talking about, some of the deeply uncomfortable and challenging emotions that are present. That if you know your parent isn't sitting with you and saying, what's wrong, sweetie? How can I help support you through this? What is it that you're feeling? Where is it manifesting for you in your body? What's happening? Tell me what's going on. If you don't have that, if you're yelled at and invalidated and again, told to go to your room until you stop crying or if you're physically abused, smacked, spanked, punished in that way, these things add up and our system learns, no, no, no. I cannot reveal how I truly feel. I have to push that down. I can't be vulnerable. I cannot be who I really am. And so you can see why this leads to such uh, massive ramifications as an adult, why there are such terrible consequences to this. And again, the earlier it happens, the more frequently it happens throughout your life, the more you carry it with you. We become conditioned. Our nervous system over time becomes conditioned. The unfortunate reality is when you go through trauma as a child, you then unintentionally and unconsciously recreate those dynamics as an adult and therefore only further reinforce the data in the environment, the ramification and justification for why you are stuck where you are. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and it only just pushes you further and further and further down. So the sooner you take accountability and responsibility for this, the better. Now, nervous system regulation, so becoming more regulated, simply means taking better care of your container. Okay, that's the first step. So what that means is getting the basics down. And many of the clients I work with do not even do that. They're not sleeping well. They're not well hydrated. Many of them have a lot of imbalances nutritionally. And I'm not a nutrition coach, but I lay out for them some ways that, you know, they can have a pathway to having a healthier relationship with food, some of the ways in which they're likely deficient, as many of us are in vitamin D, magnesium, et cetera. So another thing people don't realize, the brain is mostly comprised of fat. You need healthy fats in order to have healthy mental health. Your gut health is critical for your mental health. And when you start looking at your body as an integrated, extremely intelligent system, you can start to have better compassion for it and start to see how all the pieces fit together. Moving your body or exercising is critical. This doesn't mean that you have to go to the gym and run on the treadmill for an hour or work with a personal trainer seven times a week. What it means is start small, start somewhere, get outside, walk, walk. Many of us are more isolated and stagnant than ever before. So hydration, moving your body, sleep is incredibly important. And yet many of us are scrolling TikTok until the wee hours of the morning, just 
trying to get by, just skating by, not realizing that we're perpetuating a lot of the imbalance in our system that we picked up from the environment around us, oftentimes growing up. So stabilize your environment. You have to have nights during the week for yourself. You can't go out drinking and go out to dinner with girlfriends or friends every night and expect that you're going to be well-balanced. You're just not going to be. And it's not to say that those are bad things, but we need to practice that in moderation. So other techniques that are more advanced that help significantly are meditation, breath work, things like boxed breathing techniques or the physiological sigh. It's a double inhale holding at the top, exhaling all the way down to the diaphragm. That helps cold exposure, cold showers. You're not going to like to hear this, but it helps. You're shocking the nervous system. You're giving it an actual threat and you're building tolerance in the system so that when you're triggered in the future, you have those extra few seconds to say, oh, I know what's happening here. So these are ways that we can train our nervous system, just like we train our bodies at the gym, right? So that's nervous system dysregulation and how we start to become more regulated. As I mentioned earlier, though, your environment has a massive impact on this. So you need the right people in your corner. So you need to get very particular about the people that you date or who you are willing to be in a relationship with. You have to also look at your friendships and have a very sober conversation with yourself about whether or not you feel supported, whether or not you even tried to set boundaries with those folks. And so that's how we can start to navigate a safer path forward that puts us back in our power that puts us back in a space of reparenting ourselves in the ways in which our parents were not there for us. There's a lot there. Um, <laughs> I grew up with a mother who and father who didn't take care of their core needs. And there was a lot of yelling. And I had a father with mental illness and very chaotic. And yeah. there was a part of me that understood that it wasn't safe emotionally to be in the house and I sought out healthier families like I, I had friends whose families were very stable and I would go there all the time and I, I talked to many people who ended up in healing professions who had a similar like intuitive feeling that this doesn't feel right I'm not going to be defined by this even though it definitely impacted me and led to a lot of personal work but I, yeah. I just was gravitating towards that, like stability. Did you have a, did you have any of that in your own life? I know you talk a lot about your own experiences, but we haven't really heard much about it. If you want to yeah. share. Of course, of course. I've been very open about the trauma I've experienced and I go into deep detail in my book. It's good to see me again. And in my coaching work, this helps people to feel more connected to me as well, to know that I struggled with anxious attachment for many years, and there are specific origins for this in my story. My parents divorced when I was two years old, and my dad got custody of my middle sister and I because my mom was an alcoholic and she was deeply unstable. But she ended up remarrying and relocating to Maryland from Texas, where I was born. And so my dad relocated my middle sister and I there. And so from the ages of about five to eight, I was seeing my mom pretty regularly. We were in a, you know, a pretty smooth kind of shared custody arrangement. 
So every other weekend I was there, we would split holidays, et cetera. And things felt relatively stable, okay? But at the age of eight, my mom, her second husband got a new job in Florida. And so they relocated a thousand miles away. And I went from seeing her every other weekend or basically two to three times a month to two to three times a year. That kind of adjustment that quickly for me felt like abandonment. And in a lot of ways, it kind of was. I know now as an adult that she was following her husband. She, what was she supposed to do? He got a job. They had to relocate, you know. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It All that matters is how the child interprets it at the end of the day. That is what matters. So, yes, did I seek out safety elsewhere? Absolutely. Yes, I have probably seven or eight different moms who really helped to raise me, moms of friends and, you know, my aunts. So I absolutely sought that out as well. But I also want to acknowledge how deeply isolating it can feel. I was raised mostly as a single child, even though I wasn't an only child. And my dad raised me as a single parent primarily. So you know, it felt very isolating. He was at work a lot. When I wasn't at school, I had babysitters, yes, but it just, I felt like I was on my own. Like I was abandoned a lot of times. And so I think it's really important to also acknowledge it's not on the child to seek that out. It's on the parent to create that kind of safety for their child. And when you have to do this at such an early age, when you become parentified in that way, it creates insecure attachment and it is a form of trauma. So that in and of itself is traumatizing to have to you know, think about any of this instead of just going out and playing and being outside and being a kid and playing video games or riding your bike or playing tag or Marco Polo or whatever it is. You know, Instead, you're at home worried about whether or not you can be who you really are and that really stays with you. And it stayed with me. And I recreated a lot of those dynamics throughout my life. In my 20s, I dated many men long distance. And I have to ask myself, why? Why is this happening? Why can I not meet someone in New York City of all places? There's plenty of potential suitors here. And there were reasons for that, of course, that were very sobering for me and that I had to come to terms with. And so... All that is to say, when you can look at the arc of your story and you can identify where a lot of this comes from, you begin to, to be able to validate that for yourself and to say, there's nothing wrong with me. I learned this. I can unlearn it. And then you can charter a path forward for yourself. But yes, my trauma was deeply difficult to unpack. And some of those arcs are still unfolding in my life. This house that I'm in right now in Charleston, South Carolina, represents the end of a 32-year trauma arc in my life. When my parents divorced when I was two, I never had a home. I was raised in an apartment building in the suburbs of Baltimore with my father. That meant that when he had a stroke when I was 17 and I had to finish out high school living with my best friend, and when I graduated, went to college, I didn't have a home to come back to. So 32 years later, at 34 years old, I bought my first house. And that was deeply affirming 
for me and reinforced a sense of agency that I have now as an adult to end these cycles. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know where to start and trauma keeps coming up for me, I keep getting triggered and I don't, I don't think this is ever going to come to a close for me. Yes, it can. Yes, it will. It will be hard. You will have very difficult days, months, and even years, but you can let it go. You cannot do this alone, though. That isolation that I was talking about, many folks as an adult, they'll try to just read their way out of anxious attachment or trauma. And while you can make a good amount of progress that way, we are social creatures. We are wired for belonging and love and support. Please seek out the support that you need. If you don't have the financial means to hire a therapist or a coach like me or like you, Sandy, then that is okay. Start with one person that you know you can really lean on. Start there. Start saving. Work towards that. But you cannot do it alone and you should not try. You don't have to. Thank you for sharing your story. And I can relate to so many things that you did share, even though I had a very different experience. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. Some of what I experienced really informed my parenting. And I have three grown children now, but as I got divorced after 20 three years. I had a 13, a 16 and a 19 year old. And my 13 year old was extremely angry and didn't know how to express herself kindly. And uh, kept telling me I ruined her life. And she hated going back and forth between two parents who lived a mile away. And I knew that there was an easy way out for me. I could have said to her, you're really being rude. Go live with your father. You don't belong here. And that would have been the absolute worst thing that I could have done for her because she would have definitely interpreted that as abandonment. And so I, I went for help. I learned how to understand our relationship better, how to improve our relationship, how to self-regulate when she was calling me names and telling me I was a horrible person and worked through it. And I think we definitely are in a good place now. She's 20 seven, 28, um, took a while. It's not always easy, but I never abandoned her. And I think that, you know, just to keep that in mind, like it could be the easiest thing to do for, for people, like just to say, listen, you're being really unkind. You don't belong here, but that's not the answer. We have to really think about the impact we have. Absolutely. And meeting hurt with more hurt because you, you were obviously hurt by what she shared, but wow, was she communicating how hurt she was. So if you had met that hurt with more hurt, it would have only perpetuated the cycle. Yeah. The fact that you sought the support that you needed, that you identified it as an opportunity for the two of you to deepen your relationship speaks volumes to your parenting approach. And also I hope resonates with so many people out there 
don't meet hurt with more hurt. It's so difficult to do. But when you learn to see someone's struggle for what it is, someone's hurt and pain and darkness for what it is, you can meet it in a different way. This does not mean that you self-sacrifice, okay? Obviously, you know, you didn't change your entire life. You didn't get back with your ex-husband just to soothe her. But at the end of the day, you were able to navigate that in a more adult way and model for her the fact that it's okay to have these big, challenging emotions. It's okay for those to be there. It's okay for that to be expressed here. And I hope that people hear that and really understand it for the profound example that it is. It's very difficult to do this. And I'm sure there were very messy, imperfect moments, and that's normal. You do not have to be perfect. But at the end of the day, if you can learn this skill, and by the way, it is possible to learn, you can change the nature of your entire life. And I also want to mention something. So my mom passed when I was 18 of alcoholism. Her, her body essentially gave out on her. She died of organ failure. And so if you've lost someone or they're no longer safe for you or someone that you speak to, you do not need them for closure. You do not. I know that it is tempting to think that you do, but closure is a gift that you give yourself. So one of the techniques that I used, and I used this with my middle sister who, long story short, sexually abused me when I was five years old and ultimately also was consumed by addiction. My mom's mom before her passed away from alcoholism too. So three generations of women on my mom's side of the family wiped out, completely gone by addiction. And, you know, they say that trauma is passed on and generational for this reason. You can see how my mom reacted to her mom, how my sister reacted to our mom. And I saw myself starting to react and cope in some of those ways too. And I realized I have to be the one to break the chain. So I used visualization techniques to help to sit them down across from me in my mind and have conversations with them, imagining what it is that they would tell me now if they had the wherewithal, if they were still here physically, what would they say to me? What would they want me to hear? And when I tell you how deeply healing that was, not only to hear their voices again or to imagine them saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I put you through. And I, I didn't know any better. I was trying to do the best that I could. I, I couldn't cope. And I hope that you learn how. I mean, it, it's, it's a game changer. The tears that I shed, the guttural reactions that I had in my body were deeply healing. And I detail this in the book uh, in a chapter on two different visualization techniques that help to practice this. I also have written letters to them that just help to get it out. And more importantly than writing them, I read them aloud either to myself or to someone that I trust. Because hearing ourselves is very different than just being in your mind and writing it down. We process information differently and it's much more emotional experience because it feels like we're hearing it from somebody else. So those are two ways that even if that person is no longer in your life, even if they're not safe for you, maybe they're a narcissist or maybe it's just straight up toxic and you cannot go there with that person, that's okay. You do not need them. Even if they passed on, 
it's okay. You can process this and you can come to terms with it. These are really beautiful ways to heal. And I do have clients who are still in relationship with parents who are still hurtful and Mm. expecting a different response from them. And I think that this technique can be used with people who are still alive and with people who are no longer there. It's when you didn't get the nurturing and the parenting that you hoped for, um, especially, you know, the whole reparenting yourself is a, is a really important thing as well. You know, just really giving yourself those loving words and the support you never got through visualizing you know, you're okay. You got this. I remember even I told my mother um, once she, when I first started coaching and I was, I've shared this before on the podcast, I think, but I I was leading a workshop for the first time. I was really nervous. And she said, don't worry, don't be afraid. And I said, actually, it's okay for me to be afraid. Um, I really want to feel my feelings. Like I had to really let her know that I, I don't want her to stop me from feeling anymore. And I said, can I tell you what would be more supportive? And normally she was very defensive. Like you didn't like the way I said it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go on, but she was open. And I said to her, you know, if you could just tell me that you believe in me or that you support me, you think I got this that would be really, really supportive. And it was the beginning of a lot of me speaking up and not just letting my parents treat me in the way that they had in the past, not hoping to change them necessarily, but to say, I have a voice. And I think a lot of people think, well, they're not gonna change, so why should I bother? So I I think it's really important to, to do this I, if you can, um, that's that's my opinion. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. What a wonderful example. And for those who are listening to the audio only, I've been over here smiling a lot of the time <laughs> because I, I have an example very similar to that from my own life with my father when it comes to coaching as well. You know, I've been coaching almost three years now, full time. And before that, I knew I was going to pivot my career and transition. And, you know, my dad was a very supportive figure in my life. But wow, did he have a lot of limiting belief around money in particular. And so his rhetoric to me was often stay in your corporate job as long as you can save as much money as you can. He was, of course, projecting on to me his own limitations. And it got to the point where I had to say to him, dad, I so appreciate that you want to protect me and you want what's best for me. It's so clear in what you're saying. However, I, in these instances, just need you to tell me you can do it. You've got this son. I believe in you. I don't need more fear. I'm already afraid. (laughs) I'm already afraid I'm not going to be able to sustain myself. Little did we know at the time, all the money that I had saved to transition my career ended up going to the down payment on this house. I didn't need any of it because I have had an overwhelming outpouring of interest in anxious attachment coaching from the beginning and have had a client roster of a minimum of 15 to 20 clients at any given time. Right now I'm working with about 30. So 
all that is to say, you have to be the one to set the example of what you're willing to tolerate in your relationships. And yes, it is hard and it is deeply uncomfortable. This is why working with a coach can be transformative for folks too, because in that safe container of the environment of working with a coach, we can actually practice what this sounds like. And we have these examples to bring to the table too. So we, with my clients, for instance, when they're setting boundaries of this nature, I will have them say it again and again and again to me, and I will practice different approaches and responding to them until they get to the most concise version. Because many of us over-explain and, you know, we say, well, you know, I, I just don't want blah, 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 blah. You don't have to go into all of that. Get to the most distilled version, stick to it, and practice what it is like to hold that space. So your example, very close to mine, of course, and parents in particular, especially considering what we've been talking about all along in this episode, you know, a lot of our trauma going back to that environment. And this is not to blame parents because it happens unintentionally and unconsciously. Okay. But it is to recognize that your parents will likely trigger you as an adult, even after many, many years of working on yourself and approaching your healing and the minute you can learn to recognize their fear for what it is, a misdirected form of love, the better off you will be. And you can just say, thank you. Thank you for caring enough to express that to me. Moving forward, actually what is going to be most supportive and beneficial for me is blank. I love your example. And I love the simplicity of just thanking them and sharing what works for us today it's this this work is so essential it is changing so many lives to be able to recognize our emotional trauma to recognize our dysregulation start regulating our nervous system start expressing who we really are and start going on our last first date so in that regard i would love to hear your final words of advice for anyone who wants to go on their last first date if you really want lasting, stable, consistent relationships in your life, especially romantically, you have to bring the stability into your life and create it. And so many of us look at a romantic partner as the solution, as this kind of knight in shining armor, so to speak, that's going to arrive one day and change the game completely. And while it is very important, the partner that you select to ride along this journey with, you have safe, healthier, more secure relationships because you create them. You have to become a more secure version of yourself. Because if you remain in a lot of the same ways of coping and regulating that you have, even if you meet the right person, if you exist in that space for long enough, you will push them away. No one can sustain in that kind of instability. No one wants a relationship like that. So the takeaway here is this. You have the power. Step back more fully into your power by taking care of yourself, by surrounding yourself with supportive people, by working with a professional if ever and whenever you need to, there's no shame in getting the support that you need 
find someone who's more advanced in their knowledge in this area or on their healing journey, someone like Sandy or myself, for example, and learn what they have learned. Pick up what they model for you. Therapists can do this as well, okay? But if you want to go on your last first date, date yourself, please. Don't wait for that person to show up and whisk you off your feet. And if they do, great. Then you'll at least have the stability that you need to sustain that kind of partnership over time. So please take care of yourself up for having a big heart. You developed that big heart and those big feelings as a result of what you have been through to date. Look at your story very clearly, very sober, and validate it for yourself. It is okay that you feel big things. It's okay that you're sensitive. It's okay that you want a partner, but you cannot wait for that person to show up. Start showing up for yourself now. What a beautiful way to end this incredible conversation, Chris. Can you share with us one link that would be the best one where people can find you? And we'll have your social media and everything on the show notes. If you're interested in supercharging and accelerating your healing, if you're looking for a companion to join you on that journey, and if you do have an anxious attachment style, if you experience a fear of abandonment, if you have a hard time regulating yourself, setting boundaries, then I would be honored to join you on your healing journey. And you can explore more about my coaching philosophy and set up a free consultation at cracklift.com slash coaching. That's C-R-A-C-K-L-I-F-F-E.com slash coaching. It's like crack life with two Fs. And I talk about that on the first page of my book for those who are interested in reading it. I encourage everyone to reach out to Chris to go get his book. All the links will be in the show notes. Uh, thank you again, Chris, for coming on the show, for really being a model for how you can heal from emotional trauma, from whatever happens in our lives prior to who we become as an adult. We can really unlearn. And it's such an important message. So thank you again. Thank you. I'm deeply grateful, Sandy. And thanks, everybody, for listening. If you love our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application.